Mastering Dungeons, my favorite D&D podcast, is going independent. We've seen D&D now on ESPN. We're going to look at two different Kickstarters today, including the Heretic's Guide to Devotion and Divinity and the Ultimate Guide to Foraging, Harvesting, and Natural Discovery. And we're going to cover our first questions for November 2022 from the Patreon Q&A, all today on the Lazy D&D Talk Show. I'm Mike Shea, your pal from Sly Flourish, here to talk about all things D&D. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. If you want access to the City of Arches sourcebook, a whole bunch of exclusive adventures, access to the monthly patreon q a access to the the dedicated discord channel you can do so by becoming a patron of sly flourish the link to become a patron is down in the show notes below so i'm definitely biased but by the fact that they are two good friends of mine but my friends teo sabadia and sean merwin are one of my they're my favorite listen on for podcasts i always whenever they put out a new show i love to listen to their show two very smart DD designers two big fans of the game who know this industry in and out they talk to all kinds of people about it they have lots of really good ideas and they talk all about D&D on their show. They have recently gone independent with the show, uh, breaking away from misdirected Mark and g- beginning to do all of their editing and everything themselves. I think the podcast feed should switch over automatically if you're already subscribed to the podcast feed for Mastering Dungeons. I believe that they're switching that over. If not, you can go to this article. It's down in the show notes below. If you want to be sure and you want to be sure, go down in the show notes, click on the article by Teo Sabadi on, on alphastream.com alphastream.org where he talks about going independent and in there is a link to his podbean channel where you can subscribe directly to the podcast to the podbean podcast but also more interesting to me is that they now have a youtube version that has pictures of them so you can see the two of them talking they're actually recording the video along with the audio which is excellent that makes it more of like a new good online D talk show so i'm very excited about this subscribe to their channel on youtube i will link down to the youtube the youtube below they have two episodes up but they're i think they're gonna have a week episode up on youtube so really really good show very excited for them and uh, very happy that they will be kind of grabbing control over their own material and also making sure that the video version gets out more frequently than it has been so that is that is really good so congratulations to teos and sean i know it's a lot of work i i had to migrate over from having a show that was published and produced by another group and taking it over myself and it is a lot of work but it's also very rewarding when you when you are able to kind of control all aspects of the thing that you're doing so very excited about that so check check that out in the show notes below over on espn apparently they had a about a four or five minute special it's broken up into two different videos that show some very i assume they're very popular football players i know absolutely nothing about sports but i do know that it is very interesting to see essentially a five minute segment of football players playing dungeons and dragons it's a joy to watch and boy it really just got me thinking about this hobby and like you know, we used to be at the butt of jokes so long ago and to see, especially you would think among like among among sports folk, it was definitely a joke, even though fantasy football is essentially Dungeons and Dragons. It's amazing to see football players playing D&D and to see it in the light that they are promoting it, which is very positive, really fun. They also have a hell of a Dwarven Forge setup, by the way, if you want to see their setup on the table, they got a, they got a crazy, crazy Dwarven Forge setup. So how awesome is it that this hobby has become that cool? I remember when I was thinking about video games and I remember when like video games were also sort of a, a source of ridicule. And then 
it changed. And video games were like bigger than the movie industry. And I'm like, well, now everyone plays video games. This thing that I was kind of the nerd for playing in high school, I'm not the nerd anymore. Everyone's a nerd. We're all nerds. We all love this stuff. And now D&D is doing the same thing, which is great. Like the idea that you can watch these two videos. And so I highly, I'm, I'm linking it to down in the show notes. Take a look at the two videos, five minutes, but boy, it's just a joy to watch people from a very different slice of life who are enjoying this hobby as much as the rest of us. I'm really excited to see it. I think it's very positive and it's great, you know, and now we got the movie coming out next year. I hope the movie's good, right? I really hope so, but I hope it brings D&D even more mainstream. Even if it, you know, even the movie's not perfect, maybe it still gets more attention and people can see that, that, that D&D is popular. So I really, I'm just, I'm just excited by that. I really think that it's awesome that, that they're able to kind of talk about, you know, talk about this. So, so check out the video in the show notes below. It's really heartwarming. It's really amazing stuff. The first Kickstarter spotlight we're talking about is the Heretic's Guide to Devotion and Divinity for 5e. It's a 5e source book for all kinds of things involving religion, relicons, divine NPCs, religious cults. We love, we love us some cults. New Celestial Foes and Divinely Inspired Loot. It was the loot that actually really grabbed my attention. This is being done by Even Tier Games. J.A. Valer is the, the author and lead creator. And then other people that are there, kind of, you know, other, other authors that are involved. And you can take a look at the Kickstarter page. It is, of course, linked in the show notes below. What's really great is they have a free preview. I, I'm, I'll tell you, if you are doing a Kickstarter... You definitely, you definitely want to have, you definitely want to have a free preview and somewhere on this. Yeah. The free 20 page sample. I downloaded the free 20 page sample right here. And it is in fact, 20 pages and boy, it gives you a really good look at the stuff that you're going to get. And I'm thinking like, ah, you know, more options for this kind of thing. That's always great. But what am I looking here? And then I look at it. I'm like, Ooh, I want this great layout. Beautiful, beautiful look. I, I can never really, cause I don't, I don't read them cover to cover. So I can't give a full like, oh yeah, the editing on this is absolutely fantastic. I can usually find problems pretty quickly. So if I don't find problems right away, it's, ah, it's probably fine. But that doesn't mean I, you know, what I don't find is not necessarily, doesn't mean that it's necessarily there. But it has all kinds of things. Divine oaths. These are oaths that your character can pick up that sort of bond your character around a specific thing that you're going to do. We saw a little of this with the, what was it called? What's well, the one I just previewed? Somebody help me out. Celeste Gonwich's book. Somebody remind me. Don't make me go look it up. Venture Maidens. Thank you, Snack Daniels. You get a free, freebie on your bingo card. The Venture Maidens campaign book also had something like this. These sort of things, you know, quests that your character would go on that sort of bound, that sort of bound you to a, a thing. So I think that that is, I think that that is really, really pretty neat. The different, different oaths that you pick up throughout that looks cool we have specific npcs good descriptions of the npcs stat block for the npcs great artwork look at the art fantastic art i'll tell you one thing about all the products that i'm seeing these days the art is always so good so really really neat stuff different services that they that they offer so you can sort of drop them right into it and then this is the one oh and so we have a little dungeon here the shrine of the silent blade kind of a neat little dungeon that looks like a blade i never really know about the dungeons that actually look like something because i don't think the d anybody but the dm is going to recognize what they look like oh, like oh look it's a giant skull well you wouldn't know that if you didn't see the map i guess like if you were mapping it you might see that it's kind of blade shaped so that looks kind of interesting also a relatively linear dungeon but you know looks cool a good good description it's kind of a fun little five room five room lair Again, really neat, really neat art, good flavor text stuff. The thing that grabbed me, here we have creatures, the Forsaken Diva. Looks, looks, definitely looks fun. CR 10, two mace attacks, seven plus 18. I always look at how much damage do they do? Eh, fair bit. The God Blood Ooze. That's pretty, pretty wild stuff. Skull, scroll wrapped mummy. Again, you can check all this out. It's in the preview of the Kickstarter. So if you want to download and get some free monsters and try, try stuff out, take a look at it, see what you want to drop into your game, see what you like. 
you can check all this out in the 20 page preview. Really, really cool. So then this is what I, I read this. I was like, oh man, this I dig because it's really straightforward and simple. A magic weapon called Bedlam. Bedlam is a weapon that grows in power as you do certain things. In this case, you either slay a celestial or a fiend. And when you slay them at certain challenge rating levels, the weapon grows in power. I think this is a really cool weapon. This is the kind of thing I read it and I don't even think I have to tweak it. Like I'm ready to throw this thing right into my game. You know, I think it's a really, really cool idea. The idea of weapons that grow are really cool. We have a couple of other magic items as well that are in here. So it looks like a really cool book. Looks like a really fun source book. Lots of different options, lots of different things that they're including in here and that are all based on the idea of, of, of divinity and devotion. So really looks good. I back to the PDF. You can pick up the PDF for 25 euros and uh, which is about $25. And that gives you the source book and all of the assets as well. So that is the Heretic's Guide to Devotion and Divinity. Check out the link in the show notes. The other Kickstarter I want to spotlight today is the Ultimate Guide to Foraging, Harvesting, and Natural Discovery done by Nord Games. I partnered with Nord Games. They they helped me run my Kickstarter for the Lazy DM's Companion. I talked to Chris Haskins, who runs Nord, is a friend of mine. We, we, we chat often about this stuff. And he's putting out a lot of really neat things. And when I first looked at this, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. A, a source book about harvesting and foraging and natural discovery sounds kind of neat. But then when I started diving deeper into this Kickstarter, there's a lot of really, really interesting things going on here. That is more than just the book. So you can back the book, $25 for the PDF, $50 for the physical book. But one of the things they're also including in here is, if you recall, Nord also ran a Kickstarter last year, I think, for the Oracle deck. And the Oracle deck are tarot-sized cards of story prompts, different cards with different roles on them that you can sort of pull up one card and then roll on it and start to get an idea for different story elements. They are continuing this with magic items. So they have these tarot-sized cards designed for 5e D&D that are in collections. There are two collections, five decks per collection, five decks per box. So 250 cards per box set. Each one is 50 bucks. So you get 250 cards for $50, $100 gets you two cards, which, you know, it's, that's not cheap, right? But 500 cards of different magic items that you can, that you can manipulate in different ways. And then you get these magic item generators, tarot size cards, 64 cards per generator, four magic item attributes, $20 each. So that's actually very reasonable. I'm definitely going to pick those up. To me, like the smaller sets are easier and faster to use. Really neat stuff. I like the idea that they're nice, big, meaty cards, meaty cards that you can use. And then the book itself, which talks a lot about foraging. But what I th- I think that it, it it's, when you get past the idea of foraging and harvesting, what you're talking about is crafting stuff. And there's a lot of drive for books to help you learn about how to craft things, how to craft potions, how to craft magic items, how to craft other stuff, how to modify stuff. And that's really what we're talking about. And so when we, we look at it, we'll, we'll start by looking at the book itself. The forging, you know, this is the preview guide. This is a 35 page preview, 35 pages, obviously not fully done yet. You can see in the, in, in the Kickstarter, in the show notes, you can download these previews. And they talk about all of the different th- kinds of things they compare. Again, art and layout is is top notch. Really, really looks good. Really looks good. But the kind of stuff you pick up and how you can work with it, the DCs that you have, where you would find it, what you find, and then what you can do with it. And to me, that's the real interesting thing. The kinds of things you pick up, this is all the sort of things that you would pick up. But then you dig into it more and it talks about what it can do for you. You know, that it can... 
you know, it, it, that it can, it, it, it acts very much like various potions or solves or things that you can apply to weapons or armor and things like that. Lots and lots of information about how to do this and how to make, you know, the, you know, fairy song, willow bonus trait, animal friend, spectral melody, soothing song, special effects. So these are, these are ways to craft stuff in your game. You're finding, you're going out and you're finding this stuff. It's also about like, you know, can you skin a basilisk and what, what kind of stuff can you get from that? So really neat ideas, you know, really, really fun. If you want to fill out this part of the game, if this is an area of the game that is not really well filled out, this book has tons of different things that you can use in here for ingredients and everything else, more so than just like make, make a nature check. Yeah, you find the materials you want. So definitely has a lot of cool stuff in here. You know, what are the, what are the different hides, you know, different hides and what kind of resistance does it offer? So you don't necessarily have to like apply this whole thing to your whole game, but you could just have one little scene or one little section where you could grab it and say, okay, this is what they're able to do to kind of harvest. And I've certainly had players who were like, Ooh, I'd really like to find out more about how to like use the hide of this dragon we killed for something else. Well, here you've got some, you've got some good ideas. So that's all in the main book itself. Lots of lots of different things. And again, great big page, 35 page preview that you can go you can go download and take a look at. And when I read it, I'm like, yeah, you know, I kind of went from, ah, I don't know if Harvard, you know, doing a game about foraging is really for me. But I'm like, oh, there's probably there's definitely times where I'm going to go whip open this book and use use parts of it for for things that the players want to do. But the magic item thing is what really got me excited because I love random generators. I'm a huge fan of random generators. And this is an example. This one actually is based on the PDF version. So it's kind of showing what the cards can do, but it's showing in PDF form. I think I'm definitely going to pick up the physical cards because I, I know Nord can deliver on it. And I know that the having the physical cards, I think is a really, is kind of a fun, it's a fun thing to play with. So you can see like, you can pick up like a long sword, you know, and it gives good flavorful description, fearsome blade longer in your arm with a weighted cut that'll cut through flesh and bone with ease. And then you have like a type one mirrored. The blade of the sword is polished to an enduring shine, reflecting light around it. Awe inspiring. Those who behold the sword are struck with a sense of awe. It carries weight far beyond its physical presence. So neat little characteristics of just that, that kind of make it, make it special all for like rings, gems, everything like that. And then you can say, okay, well, what does it have about it? Well, it's a protection. You know, this item is enhanced with a toughness or charm that made out of magical materials such as adamantine. Critical strikes have no extra impact on you, right? So maybe like different items you pick up have these other things. If you think about the tables in the Dungeon Master's Guide where you can sort of apply, there was like four different principles you could apply to a magic item. This is building on that. This is making these items even more interesting than just what you've got. And unlike the way I typically do generators, is like I have a D20 list, you have another D20 list, you're rolling both, you combine the two together. This one, they're sort of one leading to the another, uh, one, one leading to another. So you're going to likely get something that makes a lot more sense. But it's a great way to build, not quite an unlimited, unlimited is very large, right unlimited is closer to billions than billions is to or, or unlimited is billions are closer to one than unlimited is to billions so but it gives you many 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 combinations of things that you can build to come up with lots of lots of interesting stuff you know origin traits you know what are the different origins you roll a d4 then you roll a d8 you can pick that and it doesn't just say aberrant right oh this is an aberrant one that's what like my generator says oh it's an aberrant sword this one says it's an item was forged as part of a dead god so it's giving that, in my opinion, this is the kind of thing I want to pay for more than I just want to generate on my own. What I want to pay money for is I want to pay money for somebody to give me a little piece of a story that can I, I can apply. This item is forged from part of a dead god. It might still retain some of that being sentience or abolith. That item is created by an abolith. It might nullify divine magic around it, only work underwater or be slimy to the touch. 
Abyssal, the demon lord of hunger, created this item. Those who bear it always are always famished. It demands a flesh offering to be used. Right? So neat, neat, beyond just, oh, it's elven or primordial or abyssal. These actually have specific things. Locations, right? Where would they find it? The item was hidden away in a treasure room. So now you might actually have a quest about how they're going to uh, uh, go get this stuff. So great, great stuff. Again, you can you can find find the Kickstarter in the show notes below and you can see the link. I'll, I'll, I think it's in a posting where they link to them. So I'll link to the postings so that you can actually get this stuff. But it looks really good. And I'm, I'm definitely eager to pick that up. That is the Ultimate Guide to Foraging, Harvesting, and Natural Discovery by Nord Games. You can check out the link to that in the show notes below. Two very exciting Kickstarters. I'm, I backed both of them and I'm excited. I'm excited for both of them. Let's do some Patreon questions. Every month on the Sly Flourish Patreon, I put up a new thread for each month of questions and answers. These are opportunities for patrons of Sly Flourish to ask me a question uh, related to D&D and dungeon mastering. And I answer every question there on Patreon. And some of those I take and I bring to this show so that we can talk about them here. Other ones become articles or other videos that I, that I record from time to time. So let's take a look. Ash S. says... My players really enjoy role-playing amongst themselves, which is something I'm happy to include often by having them visit fantastic locations that can draw out character moments from each of the PCs. An issue I'm having, however, is that sometimes the, these conversations can go on a little long. What's a good way to move the game's pace along while not upsetting players at the table who would, be, who would happily not progress the story and talk in character for four hours instead? So that's a good, it's a common problem. You have some players who are very into a scene or very into a situation. You might have other players who are not. Sometimes it's hard to tell. So you really kind of want to read the room. That's even harder online where you might not be getting the kind of feedback you would typically be getting by looking at players and seeing that they are bored. If you, if you are pretty sure that everybody is engaged, you can let it run a little bit. I would expect if you noticed that it's going long, it's gone long. Because as a DM, you're often fully engaged. Flow is in place. Time is slipping by. You don't even know. So you might be really enjoying the conversation. And if you're like, wow, this conversation's gone a while, I'll bet you that your players have already thought it's been going on too long. I had this happen recently where there was a lot of discussion about how they were going to engage in a situation in a room. And I was like, oh, this is good. This is fun. They're, they're figuring it out. And then later it was like, oh God, that went on forever. And I'm like, oh really? And they're like, oh yeah. It went on like 30 minutes. I'm like, 30 minutes? So if you notice it as a DM, it's probably time to move on and there are takes you can have put the options in front of the characters again what are the things that they can do push them towards action where do they want to go next what options have they picked choose a course of action or have something happen orcs attack somebody brought up in the chat have orcs attack have something you know change the scene move things forward move the spotlight forward cut the time and say Three days later, you arrive at your city of destination. Here's a situation that occurs. Get them into a situation so that they're doing something. But yeah, it's, it's okay to let things go a little long, but it's really good if you're aware of how long things are going. And if you know, like I, I, I would bet you that by the time you think it's gone on too long, you have players who certainly have thought it's gone on too long. So that's a, that's a really good. Ryan says, what writing, pro what writing project type do you think did the most to improve your DMing? One, writing an adventure. Two, writing an encounter. Three, writing a setting. Four, none of the above. I'm going to go with four. I don't think writing anything helped me DM. I think DMing helped me DM. There are other ways that I feel like I've improved as a DM 
that are beyond writing. Writing helps me write. The more I write, I hope, the better I get at it. The more I read other people's work, the better I get at it. The more I work with editors who, who spend enough time with me to kind of explain some of the issues that I've got in my writing, that I think is better. I get better at writing adventures by writing adventures. I get better at writing encounters by writing encounters. I get better at writing settings by writing settings. I get better DMing by DMing. However, there are some cross-training things that you can do to get better, I, I think, or in my opinion. It's just like my opinion, man. There are some things that I think have helped me. Oh, let me share experiences rather than share opinions. There are some things that I've done that I think have helped me become a better DM. One, play in other games. Be a player in games. Work, Play with other DMs. I think going to organized play games, playing with a lot of other DMs, going to conventions and seeing how other people DM, that can teach you a lot. And I've, I've learned as much from DMs that I would consider to be not the best DMs I've ever played with, more so than I've had with good DMs, right? Because when I'm running with a good DM, I just, I'm just on board with, with the game. But it's, you know, other DMs are like, ah, what's something they could have done that would have made this whole operation better? Maybe paying better attention to time, maybe focusing on the right stuff, maybe keeping the lens moving, you know, other, other things like that. So watching as an observer during a game can help you a lot. Running games for people that aren't your typical friends. If you run, this is one Teo Sabadia often brings up. He says that that he, he and, and Sean Merwin talks about the two. They got much stronger as, as dungeon masters by playing and running lots of organized play games for lots of different players, lots of different adventures, lots of different venues. And that taught them a whole lot. And I think that you can get really good at DMing for your friends if you're only ever DMing for your friends. But you might pick up some things from other games that you could bring and make that game even better if you play with other if you play with other people. So there's definitely playing in other games, running games for other people, and then running other systems. We've had other questions about like what other systems have you helped have, have helped you run games. And there are other systems that I think I've learned a lot from that helped me run D&D games. 13th Age is a big one. Shadow of the Demon Lord is a big one. Fate, Fate Condensed. I haven't really run Fate Condensed, but I've run Fate and Fate Accelerated, which is essentially Fate Condensed. That helped a lot. Dungeon World I've talked about before. The, the Powered by the Apocalypse games. So run other systems. So I think that those, rather than writing as a method of getting to be better. I, I, I don't feel like writing makes better DMs. I think DMing makes better DMs. And I would say the, the, some, some good ways that I would recommend is if you have the opportunity, you can, another one is watch other DMs run games online. You can go to YouTube and watch DMs run games and you can see what they do and can figure it out. And obviously you don't just have to look at Critical Role. That's certainly one to consider, but you can look at other games too and ask yourself, like, well, how does that game different than mine? How are my players different than that? So you can learn a lot from watching other DMs. So watch other DMs, play in other games, run games for other people, run other games. Those are all good ways, I think, to really kind of get better at DMing that I think are all better to help you DM than any of the kinds of writing you can do. Not to knock writing, of course. I love writing too. So I have an article that's related to this called Paths of DM's Ex Paths of DM Expertise that you can find in the show notes below that talks about all of these different things that you can do to kind of cross-train and get better at DMing. It's a really fun article to write. I tie it to a the levels of complexity videos that YouTube or that Wired has done on YouTube, including Tony Hawk's levels of complexity for skateboarding, which is really fascinating. You should take a look at that. But the question is, well, what if you're by yourself? Like, what if what what are some things you can do to just kind of get better on your own if you don't really have a lot of people? I would 
would highly recommend solo RPGs. Iron Sworn is one that I really like, but there are others. Any of the storing, storytelling ones. There's one called Thousand Year, Thousand Year Vampire, which I think is a lot of fun. But any of the solo RPGs can help you learn how to improvise. It gives you ideas that as you're rolling on tables and as you are kind of building a story on your own, rolling on tables and making things true, particularly the Iron Sworn does this well. It gets your brain to think about how to bring these things together and create cohesive stories from random elements. When you're at a table with your players, you're really bringing in kind of random elements, these things that they're bringing to you and you're riffing on them and turning them into something else. That idea of using something like the Iron Sworn Oracle and rolling on it and making parts of your story true as you're telling it, that's good training for it. So if you're by yourself, I think you could do far worse. And it's also really fun to play a game like Iron Sworn. I've linked down to Iron Sworn. You can actually get a whole lot of it for free, but it's worth picking up the book and some of the accessories as well. So check that out in the show notes below. Rain D says, what happens after you announce that the PCs are gaining a level? Do they level their characters individually or do you encourage them to discuss their choices with each other? Personally, I would love for my players to communicate with each other off how they're leveling their characters. I, I think certain choices would benefit the group significantly and perhaps even change their future tactics. But on the other hand, they lose the joy of surprise when they whip out a cool new feature spell with no one, no one knew they had. Thoughts. Yes, I think you're right. I think that having the players build the characters together and level their characters together is fantastic. The way I've done it is typically I've had the players where they pick their own things and then discuss those things during part of the session. So if they level up, I will dedicate part of the session to say, you have all leveled the fourth level. Why don't you talk about the new features you have? And I'll walk down each player and they can describe what features they had. I did this in a game I ran last night. I said, I have two questions for you. What new features did you pick up at, at fourth level? And what are you excited for your character to do? Not not just like in the game, but even mechanically, like what of of the of the new things you've got or where your character, what are you excited to do? Oh, I really am excited to charm people. or I'm really excited to hit lots of dudes with my new area effect. Like what are the things that you're excited to do? I like doing that. I think you could go even better by asking the players to describe the things that they're considering picking up when the when they're actually picking it so they can do things. I had one of my players last night say, hey, talking to one of my other players, hey, I'd really like to talk to you about what spells you're picking so that we can pick synergistic spells rather than duplicating each other. And they said, yeah, we'll get together before the game. So I think you can encourage that too. I think that's a better way, to, a good way to go. I think that's better than them whipping out the surprise. I know that the surprise can be kind of fun, but I bet you they're going to find combinations that will still be a surprise and they can they could do that instead. So so yeah, I would I would lean towards you know, add that to your session. Add add give live give a part of your session over to them describing what new abilities they picked. It's also great for you too. Have them describe their abilities. I actually have a YouTube video where I talk specifically about this. Have the players describe the new character abilities they've got. Great question. Jeremy C says, I plan on running a lot of one-shot adventures for my friends so we can play test the 1D&D 1D &D material as we try other characters and mechanics that we might not normally use. Do you have a lazy way of giving players magic items before a one-shot? I looked at Xanathar's guide and there's a few tables that aren't very user-friendly. Yes, I do have a lazy, I, I have a very lazy approach for this that I think works well. When the characters are about third to fifth level, if you're st depending on when you're starting the characters, maybe fourth level or fifth level, you could you could wait, you could go as far as fifth level. Give them one uncommon magic item. Let them choose one uncommon magic item. Let them pick whatever it is. There's a couple of broken ones that you might want to pull out, like the instrument and the bards, which are like that was really hard. That's really more powerful than an uncommon magic item. But generally speaking, you could say pick from an pick an uncommon. The and then have them. You might if they're if they're in the mid tier two. Eighth, ninth level, you could have them pick a rare item as well. So they have one rare item, one uncommon item. Do the same thing at tier three. Tier three, they get one very rare, very rare item. 
And then in that tier four is where you might give them a legend, let them pick a legendary item. So they have like essentially an uncommon magic item, a rare item, a very rare item, and a legendary. And you can choose like depending on what level you picked and depending on, on the kind of playtest you want in the level of magic is whether or not they would have that item or not. So easy one would be at fifth level, they get an uncommon. At 11th level, they get a rare. And at 17th level, they get a very rare. That would be mm, pretty on par, maybe a little low. If you drop that about two or three levels so that they're getting like an uncommon item at three, a rare item at seven or eight or eight-ish, a very rare at like 13 or 14, and then a legendary, that would be higher magic. So you can get, you can decide, but essentially just let them pick a magic item and let, let the player for their pre-gen pick the item that they get. I think that's fine. Like the idea that you like roll random items for them, eh, let them pick the kind of item they want. It does mean that they're going to build a character around their item which might be a good reason to move the magic item that, that that list further along so that they do it at 5th, 11th, and 17th for a common, rare, and very rare because they are getting to choose what it is. It's not some random thing they picked up in a, in a horde. They know what their item is. So they might say, I'm a barbarian with a strength of eight, but I have gauntlets of ogre power. That way all their other stats are really good too. If they're getting to build their character around the magic item, you, you probably don't want to give them that many of them. So Jeremy, that's my lazy trick. You know, offer a magic item at fifth level, an uncommon item at fifth, a rare item at 11th level, and a very rare at 17th, and let them choose what it is. Lek A says, what are your thoughts on using box text? Oh, the dreaded boxed text question. Oh no, I'm going to lose like half of my readers or viewers because I'm going to say one thing and the other half is going to go, oh, that was terrible. You're a terrible person. Um, I think it's fine. Uh, I like it. I, I, I think it's, there's some good discussions. My friend, again, ta Sean Merwin and Teo Sabadi have talked a lot about box text more than I'm going to. And good box text is, is what you really want to look for. And what does good box text mean? Good box text means it is telling the players things that are really important for them to know and nothing that they're, they're, they're looking at what they, they're, they're, they're you, the stuff you read are the things they need to know and nothing else. It's very easy to go long with box text. I have gone long with box text. I've gotten criticism for going long with box text, especially with like strong starts and runes of the grand It has a lot of text in it. And I think that the shorter amounts of box text, the often the better. And I don't think you need it everywhere. I actually think Wizards of the Coast has a pretty good balance on this, that if you look at Wizards of the Coast products, they have usually pretty short box text for important places and then just small descriptions for everything else. One thing that I'm aware of is when adventures are overwritten. And when they're overwritten, you have a lot of text. It's really hard for somebody to parse it and read it and understand it. So less text that describes as much as possible is better than a lot of text. My friends, my, my friend James Intercasso had an idea of using like, how do you use bullets instead of box text? Bullet, sort of a bullet list of things that could be read aloud like box text, but gave more specific, like what's the situation? What are the important features and what's going on? I think he has some articles on his website where he talks about this idea. I haven't really seen it in use, so I don't know how well it would work. And I, I think... I think even we chickened out when we did like fantastic layers and still wrote box text in the end. But yeah, I'm fine. I have one strong opinion about box text. As a DM, don't write it. Don't write your own box text. You don't need to write yourself a script. You are making the thing up. You either have box text that somebody else wrote or you can write down bullets so that you know what to describe. So I think it is a, I, I, I know every time I have written box text, it was a waste of my time. I'm better off doing short abbreviated stuff. Recall that your notes are for you. Your notes are not for anybody else. 
you don't need to put in your own read aloud text. You are not writing a published adventure when you run, when you're putting your prep notes down, you are putting down notes to help you run the game. And that's all that needs to be in there. So I am, I, I, I don't think if you, if you love it, go with the gods, right? If you are, if you are happy to write your own box when you do it and it's working for you, you just certainly don't have to listen to me, right? Like you get to decide what works for you. I don't get to decide that. I, I, I have a feeling though, that, that writing box text is probably over prepping. And I would think that you're, be, you're, you're better off just jotting down even just words, a few words to catch your, to catch your mind. You see it in my notes all the time, a few words. So that's the, like a, like a, I don't know how to pronounce it. That is how, that, that's my feelings on box text. Chris M says, what are your thoughts on using an anti-hero versus a villain? Or in a layman's terms, a redeemable versus non-redeemable bad guy? I don't know what the difference is between an anti-hero and a villain. And I think that it, it always makes sense to me that villains have reasons for doing what they're doing. And I think we see this. You've watched the Marvel movies, you watch lots of villains who aren't just villains, who aren't just bad people doing bad stuff. I think it's always interesting when they have a motivation that somebody can sympathize with, or at least understand if they can't sympathize with it. And I think that that is always worth doing. On the question of redeemability versus non-redeemability, I think if you're in the eyes of your villain, if you're acting as your villain would act, if you're having the villain move in directions that make sense for the direction of the villain, maybe they'll redeem themselves and maybe they won't. And it's not really up to you to decide that. It just kind of happens. I would not wire it in. I would not wire in a villain that's going to be redeemed or not. I would instead build a villain, give them a motivation, give them quests that they're going to take to, to, to accomplish their goal, let them run in the game, see where they go, and then, and then react to what the players bring. And sometimes it might be, you know what, we're going to be on the same side. I had a villain in my Eberron game that changed drastically. I ran the same villain in two different games for two different groups, and his impressions changed drastically in both directions. And it was really fun. In some cases, he was on the side of the players, and in other cases, he wasn't. Then it's because of the way the game went. It was because of the circumstances that, that went. So I would not build it in, I think is my opinion. I think that it's great to have a villain that has a reason to be a villain, or a, a reason to do what they're doing. I think a good villain thinks that they're right. A Magneto from X-Men is a great one. Like Magneto, you know why Magneto's doing what Magneto's doing. And many times Magneto's right. Now, the, the trick is sometimes you make a villain and you make their motivation so correct that you're like, the, the players are like, I guess we're on his side, <laughs> right? And you're like, eh, you probably want to make it not quite so morally ambiguous that they're, they're, they end up on the side of the villain. But you want you at least want a motivation that you can understand. I think that that works really well. But my my tricks for my my tricks for villains that I've run that I think has worked well for me is giving them a good motivation, giving them a good reason to do what they're doing that that players can understand if they can't sympathize with them. Give them quests that they're going to go on to accomplish this goal, and then let them run. And 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 periodically go back into the villain's eyes and say, what are they doing right now? How are they doing this? Why are they doing this? And what can what can change? I think that that is a really fun way to 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 look at villains. And during your prep, when you're looking at your NPCs, you can look at your villains and say, what are my villains doing right now? So Chris, that is a that is what I would recommend. Friends, uh, we are going to call the show over today. I want to thank everybody for hanging out with me today. If you enjoyed this show, 
You can subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter and get a weekly D&D-related article sent right to your inbox along with a free PDF adventure generator. You can join the Sly Flourish Patreon so you can engage in questions like these. You can get the City of Arches sourcebook, access to our dedicated Discord channel, all different kinds of things that you get by becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. It's a really good deal. And you can pick up any of my books, including Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, the Lazy DMs Workbook, and the Lazy DMs Companion, all available in beautiful offset printed versions at the Sly Flourish bookstore. Links for all of that are in the show notes below. Thank you all very much. Have a great day and get out there and play some D&D.